Yeah, there's a stirring deep within me, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, this may or may not work. Yes, there are still flip phones in this world. (laughs) For those of us who are, uh, see there, I just now messed up. Must be that. Must be a little bit of nerves working on me this morning. We're going to see if this works. It might not, but we're going to try it. You're wondering who am I calling on Sunday morning at 10.30? Hello, Leston? 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 Give it a second. Leston? Hello? Leston, you there? Larice? Leston? Hey, Doug Ferris, how are you doing? Doug Ferris? Don't act like you don't know me, Leston. Hey, I'm, I'm well, I'm well. You never guess where I'm at right now. I'm standing in front of the auditorium at church. I am. And I'm looking at a couple hundred folks looking at me wondering what I'm doing. Well, what we want to do, we know how difficult it is for you and Larice uh, to get here and worship with us. But we also know how much you love us. We want you to know how much we love you. You understand that? Would you mind if, would you mind if we sang you just a little song and maybe you can hear it just a little bit? Okay, can she hear too? Okay, here we go. We love you with the love of the Lord. We love you with the love of the Lord. We see in you the glory of our King. And we love you with the love of the Lord. Did you hear any of that? Oh, yes, that sounded great. Good. Hey, we love you all. We love you all. Just wanted to let you know that. You're welcome. You're welcome. This is Doug. <laughs> Doug Ferris. <laughs> all right. You all take care. We'll see you soon. Okay. Thank you for calling. All right. Bye bye. If you've been going here less than five years or so to Lamar Avenue, you, you may have not known or never met Leston and Maurice Maggard. They're a very dear couple. And uh, I was thinking, you know how we get that bulletin every week, and sometimes I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. But I'll let you know that the Maggards pay very close attention to that bulletin. And that prayer list that sometimes we glance over, you need to know that they look at that very closely, and it means a lot to them. And they pray for those people, and they'll contact those people and check up on those people. And I was blown away to know that even though physically they can't be a part of us, that they're still very much uh, a part of us. And I know that, uh, well, I really don't know, but I know of uh, lots of hours and sweat and blood that they have put into the work here at this family. And even though I wasn't here to experience much of that, I appreciate 
all the same. And it's a, it's a joy to get to visit with them from time to time. And I'll tell you all, just like it is when you visit anybody else, you come away so much more encouraged and strengthened uh, than what you may have done uh, for them. On a field sable, the letter A, ghouls. One of the strangest phrases in all of American literature. It comes at the end of Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel, The Scarlet Letter. It speaks of a woman, a woman caught in adultery. Sound familiar? And because of this, she's despised by her community. Sound familiar? And she's to be made an example of. She's to be punished. So people know that this is not acceptable behavior. Sound familiar yet? Yeah, there's a story in the Bible much like that. And I'm, I'm going to get to that story in just a minute. But the fact that in the Massachusetts Bay Colony in somewhere in the 1500s, that those people who considered themselves followers of Christ thought it was really important to be very strict that any sinful behavior was met with quickly and severely so that sin wasn't seen as something to be accepted. And I'm afraid that sometimes the roots of that kind of attitude have filtered down through the years that sometimes the people that call themselves the body of Christ have taken the role of not only trying to invite people into the kingdom, but maybe sometimes being the guardians of that kingdom. That's a very dangerous place to be, in my opinion. But I'll get to Hester Prynne more in just a moment. I'll walk over here to the young folks for a second, not just to make sure you're paying attention. I know there's probably some young folks over here too, no offense. What version Bible y'all use? NIV. All right. Good answer. That's, that's, that's the one I use. I got to looking, and I noticed that, according to the front page on here, the NIV came out around 1977, 78, which is about the time I was y'all's age. So about the time I got to y'all's age, here came this other version of the Bible. Not the one I grown up on. You know, I grown up on the King James Version. But you know, when you get to Genesis... And God says, Who didst tell thee thou wast naked? <laughs> Maybe I do need another version, you know? I'm trying to remember where I was going here now. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm working without, without a net this morning, folks. But, of course, since the language changed, there's some things that just you won't find in this Bible anymore. Y'all ever heard of a good old-fashioned fire and brimstone sermon? Do any of y'all know what brimstone even is? You know why? Because it's not in the NIV. They changed the words. King James Version, Sodom and Gomorrah, when it was destroyed, God rained down fire and brimstone. I think NIV says sulfur, which I guess is what brimstone was. I grew up in a time whenever once in a while 
We just needed to hear a good old-fashioned fire and brimstone service. Sermon. We needed to hear, you're all going to hell. And you better do something about it right quick. Now, the fact is, because of our sin, we all are destined for hell. That's a truth. But the strategy, how do I convince, how do I implore somebody of a need to change in their life? Well, I grew up in the time where what you had to do is you weren't so much invited into heaven as you were scared out of hell. The motivation being fear. I'm afraid to go to hell. I'll run up there as soon as he gets done. I don't want to go. That's a proper reaction. It's a valid reaction. But as a motivational tool, how long can fear be effective? How many of y'all have raised a kid, you see misbehavior, you threaten, not hell, but something a little bit this side of it. And the misbehavior continues, and you threaten again. The misbehavior continues, you threaten again. At some point in time, that threat has to become reality. Or the threat is not accomplishing its purpose. Maybe you've been the one sitting behind them and saying, I wish they'd do something about that kid. You know, I've already told them three times. If I threaten you with the fires of hell for your misbehavior, does the threat of hell seem to be an impending punishment? Yeah, yeah, I'll go to hell, so what? Today? Probably not today. So over time, I think, uh, the, the struggle between not being firm and, and strict with sinful life, and yet at the same time trying to convince someone to make that change, well, I, th I think there's I think there's a better strategy. Because that fear will work for a little while. But after time, I think its effectiveness wears off. We've talked a long time about people making the decision, making the commitment, being scared into that bowl of water over there. And then the fear wears off. And then slowly and slowly and slowly we find out we really haven't made much of a change in our life. Jesus calls us to follow him. But he doesn't call us to follow him out of fear. I think he calls us to follow him out of love. 
I think our motivation, whether it's to please your parents or to please your Heavenly Father, I think the, the motivation of love is a much stronger, much longer lasting motivation. Why do I not want to engage in sinful behavior anymore? Because I'm scared? I did it yesterday. Nothing happened. But I love God so much. And I love the fact that for every one of those sins, He took the blows for me. That if I could just follow Him a little bit closer, if I could just deny those urges that come on to me each and every day, I love Him too much not want to do that. God sent his only begotten son, John 3:16. I've got to look at it. I can't I can't remember it all of a sudden. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's why God sent Christ here. That's an important, important fact to know, to understand, to accept. But we never talk about why Christ didn't come. It's right there in the very next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Is the world going to be condemned? Absolutely. Absolutely. But even Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn us. We've condemned ourselves by our own unrighteous actions. And if Christ's purpose was not to condemn us, I feel very, very uncomfortable saying, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll take that role. If you move over just a couple of chapters, to John 15. Starting in verse 5. I'm sorry, I said 15, didn't I? 16. John 16, verse 5. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. 
Now this, this little lesson I'm giving, you know, was not vetted through the elders. I mean, they, they, didn't, they didn't even know I was preaching, I guess, until late last night or early this morning. So this is one man's opinion of one scripture. It appears to me that what it is that works on each one of our hearts to convict us of our guilt, of our sin, of our need for redemption is the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul even talks about it sometimes as a mystery. How does that work? What, what is it that the Spirit comes into to, to my knowledge, comes into my heart, and tells me, Doug, that's not what you need to be doing. You need to change. Now, a brother or sister that loves me and confronts me with something, yeah, that's, that's very valuable. But I've got to be convicted in my own heart. And I think it's a, almost a magical thing, a supernatural thing. Hard to explain. But I think Scripture says that's how it works. It's the Spirit of God working on each one of us to convict us of guilt. I may be guilty. Okay, I am guilty. And you may see I'm guilty. And you may tell me I'm guilty. But I've got to be convicted of that myself. A very uh, strange, unusual thing for me to, to understand. I'm going to stop right now because I should have said something right up front. So, commercial break in the middle of the sermon. Uh, I was told about Alicia Stevens. Uh, if you all know Phil Wilson, this is his daughter. She just recently, how, far, how long ago, Brad? Just a couple days? Just a couple days ago, had a baby. Uh, kind of an emergency situation. Alicia's doing fine. She's doing well. Uh, but the baby, Tyler Henry Stevens, is having some difficulty uh, with his lungs. Uh, and so that was passed along to us that we could be mindful of that little baby and those who are caring for him. So let's stop for just a minute and let's, let's pray for that situation. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we're so thankful that you're there to, to hear us, that you care for what we care for, that you grieve over what we grieve over. And Father, we offer up uh, little Tyler Henry and, and Alicia and, and the whole family this morning as they struggle with this situation of Tyler's health. And Father, we pray you will move in this situation, that you will bring him healing, bring him a strong health, and bring comfort and patience to his family as they can lean upon you during this time. We pray all those things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you, Brad. All right. So back to Hester Prynne. Did I tell you her name was Hester Prynne, the girl in the scarlet letter? That's her name, Hester Prynne. And so because of this sin she's to be made an example of so what they do 
is they have her wear on her dress an embroidered letter A, a red A, on a field sable, sable meaning black, the letter A ghouls, referring to, to red. So she has to walk around the rest of her life with this big old red A on her dress so everybody knows, yep, she did it. And she's supposed to carry that guilt for the rest of her life? Well, that's a real motivating factor to join that church, isn't it? Well, I got to thinking that Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, That if a man just looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery with her. So let me go ahead and let you all know, if I had to live by those standards, guilty. And I don't mean just once or twice. And I'm not about to say I won't do it again. But you know, sometimes in church, we get to little, be a little bit, uh, the only phrase I can think of is cherry picking. You know what I mean by cherry picking? Get the low-hanging fruit. We tend to like to pick on mention call out some of those sins that, you know, the bad ones. Particularly if it's one that I'm not guilty of. I was going to say that uh, I always hear preachers always pick out the same ones. I got to thinking, well, you know, the only preacher I ever hear on a regular basis is Patrick, so I'd be picking on Patrick. I didn't mean to do that. But, you know, they'll be going along talking about sin in general, and so they have to throw in a few specifics, as if we don't know what sin is. And they always seem to pick the same two or three. Have you ever noticed that? I'm not going to say them out loud, but you know which ones I'm talking about. They always kind of mention the same ones over and over again. But they don't mention stuff like, uh, I was boastful this week. Boastful? You're really going to go to hell for being boastful? Well, if I'm going to wear a letter every time I sin, I was boastful this week, so... Give me a B. Thank you. I was also whoop, I was also envious this week. So give me an E. You know God is guiding me and grasping these letters. You realize that. Anybody got Jason? They know of. I thought of jealousy, yeah, oh boy, yeah. I could, just, I could feel just sleep just with jealousy. L, I don't think lame is a sin, is it? Lust, oh God, I've already got adultery, you want to give me lust too, okay. <laughs> Imagine if that's the kind of world we lived in. You wouldn't be able to see my shirt. In fact, I'd have to 
I'd have to wear a robe just to put all the letters on. Am I denying that I'm guilty of sin because I don't wear it on my sleeve? No. But I like the words of Paul in Romans chapter 7. And I think each one of us could look in the mirror every morning and and say this. I know I certainly could. Verse 24 of Romans chapter 7. What a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. I mean, just look at me. I haven't been able to think of a cue one yet. I'm covered up with sin. I can't get out of it. I struggle with it each and every day. You know what I really need? I need somebody to come along and tell me just how bad I am. That'll help. What I really need is redemption. I need to be rescued. And that's what Paul says right after that in verse 24. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Because I am full of death. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Kyle, you did me the favor of leading another song that makes me cry. In Christ alone, no power of hell, no scheme of man. Nothing can take away what God has given us. Frankly, I like the, uh, the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Particularly that second verse. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, and not just in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. The lesson is yours. Stand and sing.